I'm Amber Harper from the Burned In Teacher Podcast and a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Hey, welcome back. Steve here. So did you listen to episode 281? Hmm? That's part one of my talk with Liam D. Elysiums and Scott Harding from Australia. Today is the conclusion. Today is part two. Today is the second part. If you haven't listened to the first part, you got to go there first. But today's my, you know, I finish up my talk with Liam and Scott. Join us as we have an in-depth conversation about Prac-E, teachers, and teaching. Just, I had so much fun talking with them. They're so knowledgeable and just so engaging. And I think you're going to enjoy that uh, listening to us talk. So it's great stuff. Lots to learn. Thanks for listening. Glad you're here. Don't forget to share and subscribe. Enjoy. You are listening to Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12, a podcast for educators, helping you help kids achieve their dreams. And now here's Steve with this week's show. Let me kind of shift gears here. Let's talk specifically, and we've kind of touched on some of this stuff, but let's talk a lot. Let's start talking a little bit about more about teachers. And, uh, you know, one of the things I heard you talking about on a, on a podcast, uh, on one of your podcast episodes, Liam, was uh, you talked about anxiety and nervousness. And, you know, it's funny that uh, there's a lot of things that scare soon-to-be teachers. And uh, one of the things that I think is very scary is the first day of school, <laughs> the first day of class. And I don't mean when you're working with the other teachers. I mean that day that you're going to walk in, you're the brand new teacher, the kids are going to come in and you're their teacher. And, uh, you know, let's, let's talk about that just a bit, little bit. So, you know, what do you think a new teacher could do to prepare for that first day? It's a question we get asked a lot at our symposiums. Um, I think for the last two or three symposiums running, we've been asked, how do I set up a classroom yeah. before the students arrived? Yeah. Um, so it's obviously something that you, you touched on it. It's on the minds of a lot of beginning teachers. And I think that there is a lot of things that you can do. Obviously the first day, you're always going to have the butterflies in the stomach. I don't think we can live in a world where that doesn't <laughs> happen. It's a natural thing. And I, I also say that that's a good feeling as well. I remember when I was at school. Means you care. Yeah, I walked into, I was disenchanted 100% with my maths class. I didn't get maths. I'm an English history teacher as well. Um, and I had a, I conveniently placed a doctor's appointment on, the, on purpose on the date of the big end of year maths test. Nice. And I walked in late, halfway through, and strutted through like Conor McGregor and just kind of <laughs> just sat down. And I had about 10 minutes to complete the end of year test. And my teacher does just, his mouth was on the floor. And it's because I just didn't care. I right. did not care about maths. I did. Uh, so if you're feeling like that going to school where it's in a supposedly serious situation and you struck through like Conor McGregor and you don't care and you've done no planning, I'd probably be more worried about that. I'd say it's the rarest of that. Yeah. But if you, if you don't have those butterflies and you don't have that nervousness, I'd probably say that's more of a bad thing because it shows that you, you're invested and that you care about your performance and you, you care about how you're going to relate to the kids and how you're going to fit in with the school. So that's the first thing is to embrace those feelings as not something that's necessarily bad. The other thing is that there are a lot of things that you can do um, to set up your classroom. I know, Scott, you said you could come in a few days before. Well, I'm a big fan of boxing. 
So to use an analogy, the first day is the fight. You've got to train before that. You know what I mean? So you look at it and go, what have you done to prepare? That's my first question. I reverse engineer the question. Have you come in a week before and, and set your classroom up so you're in a familiar environment when you walk in? Have you liaised with teachers in the holidays prior to you coming in? Have you um, looked at the timetable? Have you looked at the uniform expectations? Have you looked at behavioural management policy? Have you done your due diligence? You know, that's the first question I'd ask. Because they're all controllable factors before you even set foot into a classroom. And in terms of making yourself comfortable, and your comfort should be your first priority and that first day, have you done all you can do to make yourself comfortable? So that's professional 101, isn't it? If you look at it, you go, come in, set your classroom up, make it a comfortable environment. It's your classroom. It's not the student's classroom. They're coming into your room, okay? So that's the mindset you've got to take with them coming into your room. What are your rules? What are your expectations? Set them out. And don't keep reinforcing them over and over and over. But just show that, you know, you say it once and then you show it repeatedly. Mm. So your most obvious weapon then um, in your first couple of weeks is consistency and approach. And that will take a lot of the nerves away. You know, that idea of being prepared and feeling prepared and the emphasis on the word feeling particularly will eliminate a lot of nerves. Yes, there's going to be adrenaline, all right? That's not the same as nerves. Nerves indicates you don't feel prepared. Adrenaline, on the other hand, mm. is performance-related, isn't it? And that first day will fly, and the first week will fly. But after that, you'll settle into a rhythm. And that rhythm is something that you can dictate before you even set foot into classroom mm. the first day. One piece of advice that I got given that really helped me was that to put your feelings into perspective is an easy way to do that is what are the symptoms of feeling nervous? You maybe have butterflies in your stomach. You've got that funny feeling in your throat. You're a bit fidgety. You feel like there's almost static around you, like you're, you're shaking. Um, but what are the symptoms of feeling excited? They're virtually identical. So if you say to yourself, even if you say it into a mirror um, or just mutter it under your breath, and it's like your mantra for that week, it's just basically saying, I'm not nervous, I'm excited. It naturally pushes you forward just that language, being excited pushes you forward to embrace the challenges as they come. Being nervous naturally puts you in the back seat. So just having that turn of phrase in your mind actually does wonders. It did wonders for me. And it's, you'll be amazed. Just try it. sounds a bit weird muttering to yourself as you walk into school, um, but it does wonders. So it may sound a bit silly, but try it. And it's something that works really well for me at least. One thing I was told was get a good night's sleep, you know, because it's that easy, of course. It's like people say to you, relax, isn't it? Or don't look down when you're on a rope bridge, <laughs> you know? The, the honest truth is you won't sleep before the first night, irrespective of how right. you prepare. But you'll sleep at the end of the first week because you'll have burnt so much energy off by then, you'll be very, very tired. And then you get into a rhythm and then it's, then it's easier. One piece of practical advice that helped me a lot is to not negate the power of the seating plan not seating plan no. but the way the tables have set out and the actual structure of your room obviously secondary teachers you might be in different rooms all the time but i'd recommend if you're at least in one classroom and have the power to change it around slightly is to go into a room and actually think about if you're a student where you would sit put your mind put your mindset into that of the naughty boy at the back you think if I was if I was a naughty classroom. if I was a naughty boy, where would I sit? What would I do? Because as soon as you do that, you find the little naughty crooks and, and oh yeah, and the little um, corners of the room where they might hypothetically sit, where you can't see them, or they can look at their mates instead of looking at you. And you know, 
stand at all different areas of the room and put yourself in those perspectives of those students and think about table set out that is all that works for that negates those problem areas and also make sure the attention is where it needs to be. And it was also versatile as well. Something that they can sit and look at you, something where they can break off into small groups. Um, it will bring your pedagogy a lot higher. And it's something that I think maybe walking into a classroom and just accepting the way it is, yeah, just working with it, it naturally makes you feel like a bit of an alien in that environment. So make sure it's the way that you the way you want it and something that you can actually use in your lesson plan. That physical aspect of the classroom is an important thing if it's your homeroom all the time. If you're a peripatetic teacher and you're shifting from classroom to classroom, that's much harder, but then you've got to fall back onto a consistent routine. You know what I mean? So you might, I mean, I think my record for restarting a lesson is 22 times in a row. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Just a stubborn group of boys on a Tuesday afternoon, it was raining. I said, we'll stand out in the rain. It's all good. I spent 35 minutes calling the roll before we start the lesson. But they never did it again for the rest of the year. Because then nice. you, you do it. I'll just make it number 23. That's all. I got to say this to what you're talking about there, because, yeah, and once this, this speaks to, it's got to be, it's got to be you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Whoever you is, because uh, yeah. that's, boy, that's really bad English. But the, uh, you know, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, you, you could do that restart the class 22 times, kind of like yeah. that movie. Um, what was that movie? Uh, Groundhog Day or whatever. Yeah, yeah. If it, I, I'm happy to do that. That's no problem. <laughs> nice. Yeah. I, I, I was always trying to find, I, I like the kids to think that I was nuts. All right. Cause that they're yeah. not, they're not quite sure what, what. It's <laughs> like Christopher Walken's my favorite actor. So someone like Christopher Walken. Just a bit hey, exactly. They never, know, <laughs> they never know exactly what you're going to do. You know, what's no, funny no. is I did an activity where what, because you have to take some things that kids do. You've got to have such a good sense of humor because kids do what kids do. And I, I don't care what background they are. It's funny. You end up finding out that this is some of the things we have in commonality. And I had, I did this whole thing where we were going outside and I had buried stuff so that they could uh, learn a little bit about, I'm going to talk about how, you know, a lot of stuff that we've learned about past societies comes from a little bit of, yeah, a little bit of science and a little bit of, um, knowledge and some of it's yes. a little bit of creativeness and and so i took them out and we i buried stuff and they're digging stuff up wouldn't you know it that the one kid who's allergic to ants finds the ant bed the one kid who has on the most expensive suede leather jacket why you would wear suede to go outside okay. and i told them <laughs> i don't know but found it and got a Georgia clay mud on their jacket. You know, That's it's like, incredible. and it's like, oh my gosh. And I learned a very valuable lesson that when you're going to do something outside, you send a note home to parents and you say, <laughs> you say things like, uh, um, I'm going to be going outside in the next couple of days with the kids. And these are the following things that I need to know. Is anybody allergic to, you know, so forth, so yeah, on. And please don't amazing. dress up nice. It's amazing. And what's funny is that if I had let that drive, I, I could have become, oh my gosh, my world's coming to an end because of this thing that was meant to be fun. But instead, yeah. You know, instead you kind of roll with it. And that's kind of a lot of what you're, you know, we have to do is you have to figure out how to roll with and have a sense of humor with the kids and their behaviors because sometimes it's, you just have to laugh. And, and our I'll tell you what, sometimes their behaviors are very revelatory though. We did um, Fahrenheit 451 by Ray Bradbury. And uh, we actually got them as an experiment. We took them outside and made them try to skip in unison so that they could, they could be in, in, in locked time with each other. Nice. It took Australian students an hour to even get it remotely correct because they just couldn't get on the same page as each other. No. And I'd just sit there and watch it. It was magnificent to watch. <laughs> other cultures, it would be five minutes. But no, right. Australia had that to argue all about it. The girls and the boys didn't want to cooperate. There was one rebel boy who just refused to cooperate. 
It was just jumping out in time. It was amazing. Yeah. I said, if you don't, haven't got this by the end of the hour, you've all been banished. Yeah. <laughs> I think three quarters of them would have been banished in the first purge. So, yeah. Nice. Nice. You know, it, it, you know it's, what's funny is that uh, what makes this funny also, though, is that being able to talk and do things like that with kids and then be able to deal with however they respond to it <laughs> um, is also part of the getting back to something we talked about earlier is part of the fun of the teaching I mean, of role because you're, we're all different people and we're coming together yes. trying to figure out how to, how to move forward and learn something and, and get excited about something that may not be something that they ever thought, you know, a lot of times, whatever our subjects are and, um, you know, coming to school and some kids are actually saying, yeah, I'm looking forward to history class or math or English or whatever. And some kids are going, all right, if I try hard enough, can I figure out how to get out of class? Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. right. Oh. But trying to get content that appeals to multiple levels as well is really interesting. Like we've just finished the novel, and it's a very famous novel, uh, Young Children's Novel Holes by Louis Sachar. Um, it's an American novel, obviously, set in Texas. And it's, um, it's about a boy who goes to the, the, the prison camp, and he learns, obviously, about buried treasure, etc. And it's, it's really, really accessible for lots of different um, ages and abilities. And you can tear your lesson, you can differentiate your lesson at so, so many different levels. You can get certain people going for the civil rights movement. You can get certain people going for history. Other people are saying, um, "Draw me the diameter of this hole." How, you know, try and try and create a pattern for how this would work. You know, you get some people to go and look up. Um, do these kind of camps really work? You know, you, you differentiate the lesson and you send people off on different, almost little side missions, if you will. Do you know what I mean? And you tailor it to their interests. So it comes back to what we were saying earlier about the spike education. Once you know you've got their attention, that's when the good work can happen. Do you know what I mean? Oh, that's the most that important right. thing. Got yeah. that right. That's, that's yeah. when you can snag that. And usually it's that, uh, you know, the kid who's yelling about flubber. Flubber, <laughs> <laughs> sir. Flubber, sir. Ridiculous. That, you get them, in, get them into it. <laughs> even, this, to... even this many years later, it's ridiculous. There was another boy in that classroom. I just remembered another anecdote. Who made the mistake of referring to himself in the third person. Halfway through, halfway through a spoken piece. So for the rest of the term, it was, is Denzel okay? Mr. Harding was really happy about that. <laughs> yeah. I spoke to him. Is Denzel all right? Yeah. That makes like, Mr. Harding happy. Maybe nice. nice. <laughs> for three weeks. Three weeks of that. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, let's, we talked about the fears of the first day of class. I got to say this. One of the biggest fears, I think, that most teachers and administrators have is when they have to have a parent conference. So, oh, yes. <laughs> got yes, any thoughts there? Yes. Or at least a Look, phone I actually, call. Honestly, if I had a choice between um, writing a report home, which is becoming increasingly generic here in, in Australia, where you've got to just almost talk about what was done in the term as opposed to offer any kind of opinion about the student, or meet a parent face-to-face, -face, and I would sort of rather pick and meet the parent face-to-face. -face. Because I think you can, you can get to the root of a lot of issues quite quickly. Um, some parents, of course, as, as you're very well aware, I'm sure, can be more difficult than others. Um, very often we find if we, it's almost like Ticketmaster over here. We have like a, we, we put in for our, when our open times are and people book in electronically now, but very often the students whose parents you want to see don't come, you know? Right. So you can end up with students and you see their parents and there's not a huge amount to say except they're a straight A student and they're doing very well. And you're going, look, there are some students you need to call in for a private conference out of time. And these are the students that we're talking about. Um, you can sometimes get resistant behaviors from parents. You can sometimes get anger from parents. Um, you can get parents ringing you. That's actually worse, I think. If you're ringing them, at least you have control of the conversation. 
they're ringing you, they're on the front foot already sometimes. And very often, I've, I've sometimes done this with the phone. I've just literally held the phone there for, <laughs> for two minutes, then I'll come back. And I've let them talk. That's my first rule is let them talk. You know, you're not there to judge them. Listen, listen to what they're saying. And five, 10 minutes into the conversation, the real reason comes out. Right. You know, once all the initial emotion and surface um, concern or worry or anxiety disappears, the real conversation starts at that point. Mm. I think from someone that's just starting out, one thing that I would try and focus on is not necessarily just contacting home on negative occasions. I think changing that communication method so they know yeah. that when you're getting into contact with them, it's not just because they're... It's not an angel of death message. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. It's not the black mark from the mafia. It's, yeah. it's it, you don't know what it's going to be. You could just be explaining what you're going to be doing. Maybe if you, you can contact home about some interesting activity that you're doing and how their student how the student reacted or even a positive thing, try and make maybe one call a week to, to a family to say that, you know, maybe that student's a C plus student. You can see them working really hard to get a B minus. And you yeah. can say they, they worked really well with this particular um, activity. So they know that you're a real person and that you are trying the best for that student. I think that's something that you need to get onto that level playing field because they're obviously wanting the best for their child. You're wanting the best for the student. You're not versing each other. You're not adversaries. You're both working for the same common goal. So by getting into contact with them about positive things, they can see that you're actively trying to get them there. And so when you have to ring them for a negative occasion, they know it's a real person on the end of the line and you're not just the the teacher that's just having a go or picking on their child. Oh, sometimes, I mean, if you think about it as a triangle relationship, sometimes a student can try and play both sides where they go, they'll tell their parents one thing and they'll tell you another. Oh, yes. And then they're hoping that disinformation works. And the more they realize you talk to each other, the less likely that is to happen. So really what Liam's saying is absolutely correct. You're, you're on the same team. What you aren't necessarily always is on the same page. And so any conversation you have has to resolve with you moving forward. Mm. You know? yes. That's so powerful. The, 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 just understanding to keep that in mind that we really do want the same thing. So how can we come to a yeah. common ground? Mm. And part of it is listening. <laughs> I mean, yeah. some, sometimes people jump into those, those meetings because they just want to tell somebody. They want to tell the other yeah. side, yeah. this is how it's going to be. And it's like, no, I'll do that. Just give them a chance to talk mm. and, and let's see if we can figure out the common ground there. And as long as we follow some rules like, you know, of civility, like, you know, can you not call me that name again? We'll... we'll <laughs> But yeah. well, you have the right. I mean, if, if a situation was going to escalate as a teacher, you have the right to say this conversation is going to be terminated now because yeah. clearly, clearly this isn't a productive conversation. I've, I've seen it happen this year in my school during a parent-teacher conference where uh, a parent got very belligerent and uh, we had to shut it down. You know, that's the way it was. And, and, and it's rare. It doesn't happen very often. But you don't understand necessarily what the perspective of the parent coming in is. And so you've got to listen. That's the point. If you don't understand, you can't. I must admit, I've become more empathetic since I've become a father. I don't know if you've been, if you're the same. Very much you so. Very, yeah. You have your own kids. I had I actually had a parent tell me that one time when I was a teacher. She said, you don't understand. You don't have kids yet. Well, when I did have kids, I totally understood. I still think yeah, I'm right totally, yeah. but you know, but you do. Because yeah. <laughs> yeah. you care about your kids and you want them to do well. And then you, yeah. you worry that they're not getting treated right. And you start seeing different things. And so you come in. And, and that's why, from the educator's point of view, if you just recognize that, I think that makes you a little more willing. You, you got to be willing to to drop that shield and not let your not let your ego get in the way yeah that's, that's exactly. the thing too can't let your ego get in the way as a teacher 
Exactly. You know, how, how dare they question me? They're not in my classroom. You can't think like that because yeah. a parent is going to see things objectively from the outside. And, and whether we like it or not, criticism is part of our daily life. That's the way it is. We see enough in the media, let's be fair. <laughs> I think so. having um, open communication and mutual respect is incredibly important. And open communication is so important because if you keep threatening, oh, I'm going to call home, I'm going to call home, I'm going to call home, and then you never do it, one, it loses its effect. And two, if you tell them, they're they're going to go home and brief their parents before you do. And and then usually um, the parents will side with the student's perspective, even though that may not have happened. Um, They say, oh, I didn't do anything wrong. He's just picking on me. You go, yeah, sure, righto. Every time something's going wrong, it's you doing it. But I'm picking on you. Yeah, sure. Okay, fine. And then, you know, they'll go home and brief them. But if you have that open communication and you don't threaten it, you just do it. It, it just cuts through all of that. and It gets to the core issue. You don't have to play the he said, she said game at all. It negates that completely. Yes, it's an investment in time, but it's an investment in time that's worth it. Because think about the amount of time you're saving yourself over down the track if you don't do this. You're just going to be having a recurring problem with certain students. Yeah. And there are times, let's be honest, and I'd say the vast majority of the time, where parents have legitimate concerns and want reassurance, they want more information, or they, they feel they need some clarification on some aspect of things. And that's okay. That's all right. Yeah. Like we're currently going through um, a curriculum shift in our senior years here in Australia. So now we have external examinations where we didn't have them in some states. So some students obviously are very anxious about that because they feel like they're the test subjects for a new system. Their parents went through the old system, don't understand the new system. There's a lot of parental education that has to go on. Um, And that's ongoing. That's going to be something that as as exam season hits at the end of our academic year, September next year, that's going to ramp up and you better have the answers for them because they're going to want them. Scott talked about checking your ego at the door as well. I think that's another important thing to keep in mind when talking with parents is that to use it as a time of reflection as well. Um, Scott said that a lot of the time they may have genuine concerns. And if you're getting constant concerns, even if, if, especially if it's from several different independent sources as well, you can reflect that upon your teaching practice and you need to check your ego that you're not the perfect teacher, that you're still learning, that you're a lifelong learner as a teacher and that you're continually growing and changing. And that maybe there is merit in what they have to say. And you can put that into mind and make sure it doesn't happen again. And stay calmer than the person on the phone. That'd be, <laughs> yes. that's, that's the, you know this from being an administrator. Stay calmer. If you're in the first few years of your, your teaching career, it's extremely daunting dealing with parents. Mm. Um, and if you have a good head of faculty, very often they'll accompany you into a meeting when you first start. But you'll learn eventually to, to, to fish for yourself. I mean, because you hopefully, hopefully you'll see good practice. Mm. There was one parent that complained when I was on prac because my drafting comments didn't match with the final report or they allegedly thought so. In my mind, it made sense. And initially I was thinking, well, that's just what the students got. I, I gave them the feedback and that, that's their decision. If they decided to believe in what they, whatever they wanted to believe, I'm, I'm perfect and blah, blah, blah. But then I kind of, after that initial um, shock and worry and anger and frustration that the parent had complained about me. Um, I kind of took a step back and said, well, it is an issue if that student thought that they were at a B, A level and I gave them a C or a D, that's an issue. There's obviously been a miscommunication there. So I kind of took a step back and thought, all right, well, how can I improve my drafting comments 
and how can I improve that um, development around that drafting period so that the students have a better idea of where I think they are and where they think they are because that miscommunication is an issue. And so that's one thing that I, I, I use that complaint as movement going forward. And then from there, my drafting comments were spot on. Yeah. How can you mend your practice to be better? You know, it's right. a learning experience, not just for you, but for the students as well. And, and then obviously you take away something professional from it, you know? Most so for me, one of the things I've done with feedback in English is, um, I'll get the students a conference with me and then I'll get them to record on their phone and say, listen, listen to my notes I've, I've, while we're talking in real time and play them back, you know, or we'll do assessment launches where we flip the classroom and we'll do a five, 10 minute downloaded lesson and say, go and watch that again, you know, and you give them opportunity to sort of direct the pace of their own learning, but also to take responsibility for it, which I think is the most important thing we can give anybody is that sense of initiative, you know, and ultimately, if they show initiative, their parents are going to relax. You know what I mean? And then they'll do better. And then consequently, your life becomes easier. So the whole thing is related. You know, it, it really is. And it's, you know, it's interesting because you, you got me, oh my gosh, remembering all kinds of things that are all kinds of learning lessons. And, you know, it's funny as an administrator, when you're going into a situation where you're getting ready to have a meeting, um, I always like taking in somebody because I kind of prided myself with trying to, to listen and, uh, and try and figure out how to connect with people. That's going to be part of my stick and figure out where there's some commonality. And, you know, sometimes the other side doesn't allow you to do that. <laughs> and they, yeah, of course, they, that happens. they actually have you like, a, you know, in, in some sort of, uh, you know, trench warfare going on here and they're trying to move the trench forward and you're trying to make, you know, and it's, it's not good, but the, uh, um, but it's, it's funny because uh, one of the things I used to do is I'd take, I'd take somebody in with me and it had nothing to do with trying to gang up against a parent. I'd say, I say, look, if I start getting angry, you have permission to kick me <laughs> under yeah, the table, absolutely, right? Absolutely. And we yeah. will tag team, you know, before we started recording, we were talking about wrestling, you know, different sorts of yeah, <laughs> sports yeah, and yeah. stuff like this. I literally would tell someone, I, and if you're not comfortable doing that, then let's come up with a code word or something. But, you know, if you see I'm, <laughs> I'm getting angry, then I need to tag out and you come on in. And, you know, and, it, and sometimes that really did work. And it's like, it not sometimes it worked a lot because yeah. you, know, you start uh, taking it a little too personally or whatever, and you, and you need that help to, to back out of it. And I think, you know, one of the things I've always suggested to teachers is that if you go into a meeting like that, do, do take somebody, you know, either have something in there that helps keep you reminding you to stay on, you know, yeah. on target and not take it personally or, you know, come up with something that can allow you to uh, realize that you're going off the deep end. Oh, we've all had rough, we've all had rough interviews, haven't we? I remember having one with a mum of twins. She had identical twins and uh, they're in different classes by her behest. She wanted them in different classes and they got different grades for the same, same paper. And she wanted the grade change so they were the same. Nice. So I went around this massive feedback loop with her for an hour. I kept saying two different girls, two different teachers, two different grades. Can we change the grade? No. And we just go back around this loop for an hour. And it's like Groundhog Day. It goes back to Groundhog Day again. And you eventually go, we'll, we'll leave it there. Thank you. <laughs> just, there's, there's, there's something else you can do. You yeah. might as well get mad at the sky. There's, right. no, there's no point. And that's yeah? where, coming back to something you talked about before, if you've developed, you know, the relationships sometimes are what are going to save you. My favorite story with that is I'm, I'm <laughs> a young man has been uh, caught um, – He's broken the major, he's major infraction. He's being suspended from school. We're kicking him out for a series of days. I'm supporting it. And the parents are coming to meet with me. 
they're not happy when they get to the school. They're very upset. I actually have a, a police officer staying on the other side of my door just in case, wow. <laughs> just in case, and he can hear. And, uh, and it's not that I thought we were going to really need him as a police officer. It had more to do with his possible skills. <laughs> to, yes, of course. Yeah. You know, save me somehow. And uh, um, plus, they're, they're very... They're very strong people too. I don't know how to just describe yeah, yeah, yeah. this. And uh, and so uh, I'm, th- you know, when they arrive, uh, they're decked out in. Uh, you know, they they both arrive on their Harleys. <laughs> uh, <laughs> nice. Oh, okay. You yeah. can't make this up. All right. Yeah, I'm getting a the picture. They're decked out in their leathers, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm going to die. And <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and what's what's funny is they we come in, they come into my office, and you could just you could cut the tension with a knife, and it, something happens just as I'm seating them in my office. And um, I said, I'm sorry, let me go see what's going on out here. And so I step out there to make sure everything's okay. Well, in the meantime, it, and if you look behind me, you see, I have lots of stuff, right? And I always did this as a, I have lots of stuff on my desk in a, as a principal and I always have a shrine to Elvis. And, uh, <laughs> and so I had my Elvis shrine there. And remember what I told you about, I like people to wonder if I'm sane or not. And so I had a little, <laughs> yes. I, always, I always have a candle with my ticket to Graceland and a bunch of other Elvis hmm. paraphernalia and the candle has been burned, right? Cause I'd light it twice a year and I'd tell, they'd go, you've been lighting that candle, haven't you? I said, yeah, he's coming back, man. You know, twice. You know, and yeah, yeah, yeah. So, all right. So you just need to know that a little bit about me. This is the person you've been talking to for a while. That's fine. It's no problem. <laughs> and yeah. so anyway, I walk in and he's looking at my ticket to Graceland and he's looking at the Elvis stuff and he looks up at me and he says, you like Elvis? And I said, yes. And he says, uh, he says, uh, he goes, me too. He goes, uh, he goes, I see you've been to Graceland. And we had a little chit chat about Graceland yes. and about Elvis. And, and that was really cool. And, and the next thing I know is he looks at me and he says, and there's no more, the tension is weird. It's not, it's kind of dwindled. Mm. He looks at me and he says, my son's story's not good, is it? <laughs> and I said, yeah, well, suddenly he was a human being. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we were able to talk and get through this. Mm. And uh, his, mm-hmm. his, his biggest fear was that we were going to throw his child out with a bathwater type thing, that it was... Sure that we were going to ruin his kid for life. His kid, you know, was a young kid and, and it's like, Oh no, let's talk about this. So yeah. it brought us into the, the same worlds where we both wanted to do what's right for the kid. So that's perfect. That's perfect. That's but a great I, story. I like to say Elvis, yeah. Elvis saved my life, even though he, he, did. he, literally, did. <laughs> he literally did from beyond the grave. There yes, he did very much. So. Yeah. Yeah. That was so, great. So I gotta, I gotta, you know, we're, we're starting to get closer to wrapping up here, believe it or not. I, I, I might yes, talk that's to you right. a few more hours. That's all right. We got, uh, um, <laughs> so we've touched on this just a little bit. You know, a big fear is that, you know, you're going to have a problem with a child in the classroom. You're talking about classroom management. You know, how can we, what, what do you think is most helpful to support teachers in helping them deal with classroom management if they're, they think they're going to be struggling or they think that they don't know how to deal with something or, or they're wanting you to literally tell them if this happens, do this, which first thing, don't shout unless you have to. It's a nuclear option. It's a nuclear option, right? If there's immediate physical danger or there's some kind of emergency, I'd understand it. But by and large, I'll be honest, the 99% of people don't respond to being shouted at. You know what I mean? Um, you're actually more powerful coming close and saying, can you stop doing that, please? You know, being quite quiet. Do you know what I mean? And one, that's one of the lessons I learned from Andrea Perry, actually, my mentor in England. We have these big Jamaican lads um, who are obviously second generation, and they were six foot three, six foot four, some of them. They're big boys. Do you know what I mean? She's five foot one, ringing Rhett, I reckon. And she'd stand there in the middle of the room and just stay quiet, and they'd all just sit in a the seat. They wouldn't even bother because... By the time that she'd had them for two, three years, 
they knew she was going to be relentlessly consistent. Every single time, she would just do the same thing. So it's not going outside and doing the lesson 22 times. You're going to do it at 23rd. They know that. And eventually what happens is they stop running at the wall because they go, there's no point. It's just going to be the same reaction. You know what I mean? It might take a little while. And that behavior management strategy is an important thing to put in place. But you're better off staying quiet than you are getting louder. One of the things I found by accident very early in my career, when I was about to lose my temper, actually, um, I started counting out loud. Um, I had a group of very rowdy boys on a Wednesday afternoon who didn't want to learn about French. They weren't interested, thanks, because everyone spoke English. And they were, they were, you know, what do you want to be when I'm older? I want to be a stripper, all this kind of stuff. You're getting stupid, stupid answers, right? Right, right. And I was starting to count to 10 because I was getting quite angry. So I got one, two, three, and they all just magically shut up and sat down. I thought it was a wind-up at first. I thought they were winding me up. And they all just got on with the work. And then I found out they all went to the same middle school. Yeah? And that they had the same teacher and she used the same tactic with them. So she'd had them for three or four years and they were all just programmed to be quiet after, after three. Oh, this is brilliant. <laughs> I'm onto something here. So I started incorporating it into my practice. And every time somebody wasn't listening to me, I just start going like this with my fingers. Three. And then I put one minute on the board. I said, that's another minute you're going to be in the lesson. One, two, three. And after that, after about two minutes, everyone starts going, shut up at each other and use their energy against them. You know what I mean? That's the <laughs> nice. best way. Nice. Don't use your voice. You need your voice for the year. Right. Use their energy against them. You know? the, best, and uh, conquer. the best classroom management that I've seen, or behavior management at least, was the school that I went to, Music Industry College um, Brett Woods, the principal there, and us in his book, he, he talks about his, their perspective on behavior management. It's quite amazing the way that they deal with it. Um, he said that the best way to have perfect behavior is to enforce no rules whatsoever. It seems contradictory and it seems a bit silly, but he said when they were at lunch, at least, because it's in Fortitude Valley, which is the kind of the seedy. Um, nightclub area of Brisbane that's where the school is and they allow their students free dress and to go on and off campus whenever they like and they've got spare periods where they can go off and do different things and come back they were initially worried about that because teenage boys and girls they could get up to all manner of business in the Fortitude Valley if they particularly wanted to and the school that he went to before had very strict lunchtime duties where you know if kids don't have hats they get detentions uh, they all have to put sunscreen on. And if they're mucking around, they go back inside and they're yelling at them and there's the tuck shop line and you can't get, you can't, you know, all that type of different, really hard enforced rules. So they were initially thinking, well, maybe that's what we have to do because we're in the valley. And then he flipped it and did the exact opposite approach where they had no rules whatsoever. They didn't go out of the staff room. They kind of just got on with their own business yes. and just trusted the students to do the right thing. And then from there, the students were treated as adults and the respect grew and that mutual trust grew and they never had any issues whatsoever, maybe one or two. And one issue was that there was um, classes coming back and two boys were 10 minutes late, 20 minutes late, 30 minutes late. Mm -hmm. And he was thinking, oh dear, what's going on here? So he went out looking for them. And as soon as he exited the school, they came stumbling back and one of them was 18 and had got drunk at the really? local bar. And wow. one of them was 17 and he had bought underage drinks for the other one. Wow. So they rocked up to school drunk. And so he was thinking, what do I do? Because this is a new school that he's founded. So he's thinking this could be a core pillar 
of what I do and our behavior management. And he's preached all of this stuff before about mutual trust, mutual respect. And he said, if I just nail these kids right now, that's going to contradict everything that we're about. So he was thinking, what do I do? What do I do? So the first thing he did was ring their parents, which is what they didn't want to do. They said, no, just, just do this. Just expel us. Just suspend us. Don't ring my mom. <laughs> so it was interesting that they were begging for the traditional forms of punishment. Who had that? And he rang their mum and he got their mums to come pick them up. He said, they're, no, they're in no fit state to be at school. Come pick them up. They've done this, whatever. Come back tomorrow. They came back tomorrow and he took them aside privately in his office and just said, look, we're in new school. We like to treat you as adults because you've come from schools where you're not treated as adults. We've given you the mutual trust and respect to go out. You've broken that. So for the next month, you're not allowed to exit the school on breaks Mm. and let's see what happens. And then they just went back to class. There was no suspension. There was a Mm. sort of a suspension, uh, suspension of that privilege, but they weren't suspended. They weren't expelled. They didn't get yelled at. They weren't publicly humiliated in front of their peers. And eventually word spread and um, the other kids went, why didn't you yell at them? Why didn't you do that? She goes, well, the deed had already been done. Me yelling at What's them. What's the point crying over spilled milk? Yeah, exactly. Yes, right. there's, there's no point. And for me to keep that relationship with those kids and for me to enforce the values of the school, we looked at what had happened and we gave them a realistic consequence of what had happened. And then we moved on for the better. That's right. There's a difference between discipline and punishment, mm-hmm. isn't there? People misuse the word discipline all the time, right? Discipline's got to be self-discipline. So you help them to self-discipline at that point. That makes perfect sense. Punishment is just going to breed resentment a lot mm. of the time. You know? I remember when we were very, very young in England, we had the cane. So corporal punishment, you get hit with the cane. And all that did in England, um, I don't know if it was the same in Australia, was with the very hardcore kids, you know, the real problem families, they just go, big deal, hit me again. Right. Because they're probably getting hit at home anyway. Right. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Just hit oh, me yeah. again. It becomes a badge of honor. I don't care. Do you know what I mean? And so it didn't work, you know? It was a deterrent, it was a compliance deterrent for 99% of people. And for the really hardcore kids, the ones you want to re-educate, all it did was make them angrier. What's the point? Mm. You know, there's, you've got to find the smarter strategies that are going to be less corrosive, I think, further down the track. There's another student, young boy, that thought he would impress a girl by doing a backflip off a wall. Nice. Oh dear. You know, literally run up the wall. This yeah. was his plan. He was going to jump and run up the wall two or three steps perfectly up and down and then flip back and perfectly land on his two feet, right? That was what was hypothetically nice. going to happen. Nice yeah, plan. Theory. Theory. <laughs> he didn't realise the wall was about two centimetres thick of plaster. <laughs> I'm not sure what that is in the, in the, uh, the other system, the American system. An inch probably. Uh, oh, it's even less than an inch. Yeah. Um, but his foot went right through. Nice. And very first step, and he's hanging there <laughs> upside down <laughs> with his one foot still stuck in the wall. Nice work. Now, this was in a PCYC, which is police centre, uh, like youth. a youth centre yeah. run yeah. by oh. the police in okay. Australia. So the campus was the upstairs of this PCYC. So his punishment was that he had to go show the sergeant <laughs> downstairs do it. the whole of the wall. Nice. <laughs> and that was it. And then the sergeant... So he had to walk into the police station downstairs and go take the sergeant and show him the hole in the wall. And the police sergeant basically said, um, you're not respecting the grounds, you're not respecting us. Um, it's dangerous, you could have hurt yourself. Don't do it again. And then 
the kid never had an issue. And those other boys that rocked up drunk, they never had an issue with those kids either. So I'm not saying that for every student, you need to put them down on a psychologist's couch and get down <laughs> to the nitty gritty of what's life at home, you know, all that type of stuff. Sometimes a whale is just a whale. You know, you know I mean? it, sometimes students uh, just play out. Yeah, it's just it, it doesn't have to be like that. I'm not, I'm not yeah. saying that. But you do need to have realistic discipline and realistic consequences that isn't just detention, suspensions, expulsions, because that's just, if the kids are routinely in that system, they get to know it. And like Scott said, like with the cane, it becomes second nature. I remember seeing kids on detention who go, I can't book you in this week. Can I do a week Tuesday? Because they literally, they're booked up every day. You know? Yes. yes. So you know, I've, I had one class who were really ratty. And um, this is a cruel, unusual punishment, you may argue. You shouldn't probably go on a podcast, but I'll say it anyway. And um, they, they came in for a 20-minute recess and said, you can't keep us for the whole lunchtime because we need to eat. I said, you're absolutely right. So you can bring your food with you. And then I played Baby by Justin Bieber on a loop for 20 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. I love it. I had headphones on. I was eating my lunch. Nice. <laughs> that was their punishment. I said, 20 minutes can feel like a lifetime. <laughs> So, yeah, I think with classroom behavior management, mutual respect, realistic discipline. And then if a kid's behaving badly, it's, it's sometimes it is just, especially young boys putting their foot through a wall to impress a wow, girl. It's just, what, what do you know? But there, there is, <laughs> there's usually a reason behind it, especially if it's quite serious. Um, I know at a school that I had experienced that, the kids that were misbehaving were because they had problems at home or something bad had happened that day. Yeah. So some of those are out of your control. But it's also important to have those respectful relationships with those students and to build up that rapport. So when those kids do misbehave, you're able to put it into context. Because as soon as you start seeing kids as just being naughty for the sake of being naughty, you'll get into the mindset of, oh, they deserve to be expelled. And then you just, what are you then? You know? Look at the animal thing too. You look at zoo animals and sometimes the handlers can get through to them where no one, no one else can. It's the same thing. Teaching, there is an animal instinct with the students as well. Do you know what I mean? They trust you, they're going to listen to you. They listen to you, you're not going to have the problems. So it comes down to trust and the bond that you're trying to form with them or the rapport. If you turn around and tear that bond down, you're going to have to start building it from scratch again. So any, any punishment you put in place has to be linked to the idea of self-discipline. That would be my advice to anybody in their first five years of, of teaching. Make it constructive, you know, constructive um, form of punishment, not just a, a mindless one. Well, I think that's, you know, that's what's an awesome point about that is that one of the things I like to tell teachers that are struggling with classroom management is the kids pretty much are sure that you can't do anything to them that would get you locked up or that you won't. All right. So, you know, so thinking you're going to threaten them into doing what you want them to do is for some kids is a real bad road to go down. Because oh, totally. <laughs> what's that? Totally. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, it's and it's and and they get themselves caught up in that. And it's like don't don't go into that world because that world they know you can't do that. So it's really about trying to figure out how to get them to do what you want them to do. And you know, there, there's going to be that small percentage that you'll never, you may not get to that point. But the most of them, once they start, you know, you, you gotta you gotta figure out what it is that's going to work. And part of it is talking with them. You know, um, not seeing them as all <laughs> troublemakers or something. So that's right. That's right. Innately, people want to be liked and they want to fit in. I mean, that's the thing. You know, you look at it and go, if they don't, very often there may be a reason underlying. You know, that's, that's the thing. You look at it and go, it's about making people comfortable with each other at the end of the day. Yes, very much so. That, that wouldn't happen to be the Pomeranian, would it? <laughs> you can hear her in the background. Yeah, she's got a, a bit to say today. <laughs> Ridiculous. This is through two doors. 
That's the two doors. Oh my yeah. gosh. Yeah. The, uh, so I, I got to make sure I ask this because, you know, one of the things that uh, I heard on a podcast and, you know, teachers are new teachers, teachers who've been teaching for a while, veterans, they've, uh, they're having to figure out how to use technology and there's all kinds of technology out there. There's all kinds of from interactive boards to Chromebooks to, you know, you name it, it, it there's something that uh, somebody's probably using and, um, and being expected to use as well. And one of the things that I thought was awesome that I heard you say, say Liam, was uh, you shouldn't be like the teacher who says, everyone sit down and watch this amazing technology I've created, you know, and instead put yeah. the technology into the student's hands. Can you just talk about mm. getting the kids using it? Yeah, sure. I think, well, it's probably the most um, divisive argument that we've had at a symposium was the argument about mobile phones in the classroom that we yeah, had recently uh, yes. at Symposium 3. Francis uh, just banned it entirely. Francis banned it entirely. And I've seen it firsthand where some teachers of mine have a phone box at the, at the start of the class and you put your phone in and you don't get it till the end. I've seen other... Um, I'll do that. I've seen other teachers implement it into assessment where you have to take a, it was a geography assessment. They were doing um, natural water forms and they had to go take a selfie in front of the Brisbane river <laughs> and you get all these and upload it to Google classroom and you get all <laughs> these weird and wonderful selfies from all the boys cool. um, on the Brisbane river. And so you can see that it's becoming a, um, a very divisive topic in education specifically. Um, between the role of technology in the classroom, whether you ban it entirely or whether you have it. Now, what you were referring to was a video that we had, um, advice that I received from a professor from the Queensland University of Technology when I asked them about how beginning teachers should navigate this space because it's, it's quite problematic as a beginning teacher because we're probably digital natives, I suppose, if you want to call it that, where we've grown up with technology, internet, social media, things of that nature. And a lot of younger people learn specifically through that way. I mean, Google it has become into the, has come into the vernacular now. And that's probably the, no, the, the number one yeah. way of learning is if you want to know how to do something, you Google it. So one thing that we were talking about in that podcast that you mentioned was basically that as a teacher, you have to think about the role of technology in your classroom. It can never be a gimmick or a novelty because then that fuels the argument that it has no role in the classroom. If it's a, if it's a novelty or a gimmick, then oh, it's the, the same students, thing as showing film yeah. in an English classroom. Right. Kids are just going to get distracted. Yeah. And <laughs> kids these days don't know what they're doing and all that type of stuff. It's just going to fuel those types of arguments. Um, for me, I'm a big proponent of using film in an English classroom if it's used properly, not as a mm. babysitting device. You know what I mean? But there are some English teachers who basically they'd rather burn all DVDs yeah. possible. So, right. right. So <laughs> so it's the same yeah. thing. People have their opinions and they have their ways. And so, as you say, there's a range, there's a spectrum within teaching of people mm. who would happily teach everything online through to people who'd rather burn every computer possible. <laughs> yeah. You know? So what you have to do as a beginning teacher is think about how is it getting across the knowledge that I want the students to attain? What's the actual content here? And how is my technology that I'm using in the classroom aiding that? If it's not aiding that, don't use it. If, it. if the kids are better off learning just by discussing with themselves or going out uh, or filming a video or even just writing with a pen and paper, whatever is aiding that knowledge acquisition. I see that point what you have to kids do. sitting next to each other typing when they're going to be having a conversation. Mm. Yes. <laughs> right. Yeah, you know I mean? exactly. So 
put the technology back in the students' hands. So what I meant by that is that you can't come in as a teacher and give the student nothing. And then you're the only one with the technology in the classroom, <laughs> showing them this magnificent thing and thinking that's using technology. One, one of the greatest that. things I ever did was we, we got Twitter and we all got the characters from Tekken Mockingbird and we all pretended to be them and had a conversation online. So Asker Spencer was saying to Scott, go to bed, it's beyond your bedtime. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, no, I'm, I'm going to see Boo Radley. Boo Radley went, no, you're not. I'm hiding. That was yeah. good. No. So if it aids, if it aids what you're trying to teach, then use it. If it's not, don't use it. I think, yeah, a I, think so. I think a myth that is perpetuated in this argument is that it's an all or nothing. That basically people yeah, it's that a binary choice. Yeah, that people that promote technology are saying, oh, we want everything on technology. Screw books. Screw pens. Screw paper. <laughs> right. No, it's all on technology these days. Whereas that's not the argument at all. I don't think. I think it's a tool and it's a pedagogical tool. And it needs to be used. You're not going to use, you know, a hammer when you need a spanner. Oh, look, we've been, we just put all our lesson plans onto Microsoft OneNote. And now we're being told at my current school that we need to move into a new digital platform. So nice. you're moving dirt from the backyard into the front yard. Nice. Yes. So, yeah, you can imagine how much that was greeted with enthusiasm. Was in. <laughs> oh, <But> yes. <laughs> if, if, in the, if in the long term, the platform saves you work and time, which I think this new platform will then you can see the merits of it. If it's just done for its own sake, because mm -hmm. it suits somebody's educational portfolio, that's a big difference. The other key is, Scott mentioned it there, you've got to make sure you have the teachers on site and it's actually aiding pedagogy and it's aiding teachers and, and to have them um, on board. I'll share this anecdote. Oh, the school will remain nameless. Yeah. Scott knows it well. Um, where basically uh, the staff, they were thinking about giving every student a laptop. Now the, la <laughs> the laptops that they, the laptops that they were deciding on giving the students yes. weren't even available to the public because no. I'm pretty sure they weren't quality enough to actually make it available to the public. So they're wow. from these offshoot third rate. It's like on Seinfeld when he has the wizard computers, but yeah. he gives them the Willard. Yeah. It's kind of, it's kind of like, <laughs> that's, it, that's the one. Yeah. That's the one. So it's like these Aldi brand um, computers that all the students were going to get given. And they were, I'm pretty sure it was just used for a promotional device. And the, the teachers were receiving no development, no training over actually how to implement them into. We were middle managers and we, got, we all got shuttled into a building and said, What do you reckon technology in the classroom? And about three quarters of us went, Oh, we're not ready yet. They went, we're doing it anyway. Yeah. So just rolled it out. Nice. So they, were, they were concerned yeah. about actually how it's going to work. Yeah, and funny. they had a big meeting finally. They got the, the higher ups finally in a room and they said what Scott said. That, no, I don't think we're ready. We need maybe better devices and we need development to actually know how to use it. And they went, okay, well, we'll take that into advisement. And then when they went back to the staff room after the meeting, the new... Um, school newsletter was on the freshly printed was on the desk and it was the front page was a picture of the principal holding a laptop <laughs> with the headline laptop for every boy <laughs> it's just a fair company you so you think, okay yeah. this is the way we're going basically, you know? yeah, yeah. But, so, um, so you have to have teachers on site you have to make sure <laughs> that you're walking with them that everyone within the same school is on the same page and you know for well how, how cynical teachers can be as a collective right so no, you know, not, not at all know, right yeah. they can be the worst audience for a pd <laughs> to happen in front of i feel sorry for external speakers because very often you can see students you know they're mimicking the students they teach yes so, exactly um, and it's usually one throw a kid out of the class for doing the same behavior but uh, you know they're that's okay. right but you see them and you see them in a meeting and you go 
hang on a minute. <laughs> but if you don't grab them in the first five, 10 minutes, you're not going to grab them. That's just the way it is. Yeah, and, um, you're right. Yeah, you, you've got to show them the applicability of your idea. It's, you know, we all we'll, we'll revert to being pragmatic. Is this going to save me time? Is this going to be better for the kids? You know, if it's neither of those two things, it's not going to take. Right. So, yeah. That's got to be one of my all-time favorites is that uh, I worked in a system one time as a principal. I had some kid, uh, some teachers who were way ahead of the, of the world in streaming, you know, as far as the education world is concerned. Yeah. And they were, they were um, connecting with people in different places and doing all kinds of cool stuff. One was a, one was a calculus teacher and the other one was an English teacher. And, and they, and, and what was funny was they weren't even working together. These were, they were doing their own separate worlds. And uh, there were other places in that system. It was a big system. And, and uh, they had gotten a, it was March. In March in the United States, uh, Liam, you're a basketball fan. What's one of the big things that happens in college um, in March? Is it the NCAA? Yes. March it? Madness, yes. man. Yeah. March Madness. March Madness. The system had this little spy tool that was telling them, that there was a lot of streaming going on during March. Therefore, it must all be about basketball. So they shut it all down. Oh, no. <laughs> it just, just went, it's done. And they found out the number of teachers that were not using it to watch basketball was amazing. And oh, uh, so it, even in itself, the, the tools that, and that's where you have some of those speedboats or whatever you want to call them, who they take it and run with it. And some others, <laughs> it's always been my favorite thing. Some others would uh, like to see it just be a big, uh, yeah, that'll hold my papers down if I put. Yeah, it. that's right. Yeah. It's a doorstop. It's a doorstop. Yes. <laughs> hold this door open. I like that. So it's amazing. You know, as we're you know shifting gears here, we've been talking about Pracky mm. a lot. Can you tell us? Yeah, you know, tell the audience. You know why Pracky exists and what you'd like to accomplish. Mm. Yeah, sure. Well, it started one day when I was at Scott School, and he was my mentor. And he was just absentmindedly asking, we were kind of talking about 3.30 p.m. <laughs> absentmindedly. absentmindedly yeah. asking me like how everything's going with my colleagues. And I was just basically talking about the brutal dropout rate that I'd been seeing. Um, I went to a lecture post-prac the last time and it was compulsory to rock up. And it was in the largest lecture hall at my university, probably sits about 400, 500 people. Yeah, the one we did people. the first symposium at. Um, and eight people were there. Wow. So not the 493 people dropped out um, from 92. Um, but uh, it just shows that people were not engaged to actually rock up to the lecture. And a lot of those people had dropped out. So I, I was sharing it with that. And we basically talked about why that was. Why are people dropping out of the profession? Why don't early career teachers stick with it? And why do school leavers not choose it as a preference when they're going into college or university? And it basically turned out to be that we felt that people weren't prepared. We're talking about it before where they weren't prepared for the realities of the classroom. And it wasn't the big ideas in terms of pedagogy that were worrying them. It was the little nitty gritty things that kept them up at three in the morning. What do I do if a student chucks a chair at me or why do my lessons keep going 15 minutes short, even though I have a million resources, how do I set up a classroom at the beginning of the year? these little tiny questions that didn't fit into a lecture were worrying the, my colleagues the most yet there was no avenue for them to get those questions answered apart from finding a mentor, which is we were finding finding quite difficult to do. So what we wanted to create was a body that 
specifically looked after beginning teachers and answered those itty bitty nitty gritty questions that was causing the most stress. So what came of that were practice symposiums where a varied panel of real world educators that are actually in the classroom right now um, from all different experiences from beginning teachers themselves to principals and everything in between go up there and then the student where the, the audience walk in, they get a live link and that is an open forum that's connected to the MC and they can ask as many anonymous questions alive to this panel for about an hour and a half to mm. two hours. And there's no agenda and we're not selling any products and it's from the perspective of a beginning teacher as well. So it's that avenue where people can ask those questions. And after an hour and a half, two hours, they feel less stressed. They feel less anxious about actually going into a classroom because they've asked, they've had an opportunity to ask those professionals those questions that they might think are a bit silly. Or it's interesting to like see that. who hangs around afterwards too for about an hour and a half. So you're there for a little while. Do you know what I mean? And yeah. the very first one we did was in that lecture hall that, that Liam talks about. And there was 400 people there. That was intimidating. Do you know what I mean? That's, you're sitting there, there's a group of five of you with a glass of water. And there's 400 people staring at you with iPads. <laughs> yeah, that gets okay. your attention. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that gets your attention. And within so. half an hour of the um, supposing beginning, we had 250 questions sent through on this forum. And it just show, goes to show you these questions are de needed to be answered yeah. desperately. It's so another load of this. We were yeah. thinking, right, we got to our answer maybe, what, 13, 20, around about yeah, that, about questions per symposium. And we're now we have hundreds in this bankroll. And so, this is an internationally applicable thing. This mm. would be the same in any country. There'd be student teachers wanting to know yeah. before they go in because it's human nature, isn't it? You want to know exactly what the ground or terrain's mm. going to be before you jump on it. Yeah. So, exactly. So. And I've just had enough of looking the other way. You know, at the end of the day, with due respect to you and I, we're not going to be here forever. And so, this new generation of teachers that need some form of help or guidance mm. to come through. Um, and that's a really important thing. So we were thinking, what on earth are we going to do? Because the reaction to it was shocking. Um, the yeah. reaction was, it was so strong. Yeah. And people were demanding we do another one. And we have hundreds of these questions on this forum that we didn't get to answer and that we were able to keep in perpetuity. So we were thinking, what do we actually do with this, which led us to do the videos, the podcasts, the Instagram posts, the tweets are on TikTok now, even <laughs> um, where oh, we wow. where we roll out we roll out these questions and we connect with educators such as yourself um, and answer these questions in real time, which is the hashtag Ask Pracky Anything show, or we do the Teacher Hack Talent Challenge, where we do a bit more yeah, fun, fun fun videos, um, and we roll out these answers. And I think the reaction to it's been strong because it's a direct line into the want of these beginning teachers, which is, I think is quite unique in the professional development space and to have that unique empathy and that direct line from what they actually want to know is invaluable because we can cater the content to exactly what they want to know. We're not, yeah. we're not guessing here. We actually go to the questions that we receive during the events from real world people. So I think that's why it's, it's taken off so much and why we're able to talk to you all the way in Atlanta, um, the fact that, you know, we're able to respond to them in real time and, and also not come to it from a point of, we don't have our egos in there. We're not selling a product. The end of the line is basically always to help and to feed yeah. and to send that elevator back down. So there's that trust and that empathy and it's mm -hmm. been fantastic. And I'm, I'm very excited to see where it goes from here. Yeah, absolutely. It's so awesome. Cause it, you know, just, 
having it not associated with trying to sell them something mm, <laughs> is so important because they know that then that, you know, you're not going to then send them the email. It says, and, and for just 1995, if you send it by midnight tonight, you too can get a set of Ginsu knives. You know, it's no, no. So. <laughs> not, at not at all because the, the entire point is we kind of cross that particular paradigm. We don't do that. You know, we're there to help. That's the most important thing. Mm. And we also, a core pillar as well is that, we do come from the perspective of pre-service and beginning teachers as well. And one thing that we do is that we communicate in 21st century methods. We cut down our answers to short Instagram videos. Like I said, on TikTok yeah. or we send out on Twitter or on TikTok, we're on <laughs> hundreds of Facebook groups and we answer questions and um, to those people that are wanting answers. Um, and we put that all up on say, our social medias and things like that. So if someone is unable to sleep before their first day and they're, tossing and turning at two in the morning they can go to Pracky and, and see answers to those questions that's it then they don't have to wait until a workshop no, and then we also record all of these symposiums and chuck the whole thing up on youtube for free as well um so people can connect with us and our content and get those answers whenever they need it that's awesome awesome the uh and i what's what's Pracky stand for Oh, it's a, in Australia, we like to shorten everything. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> service station is servo, nice. uh, Garbo, garbage sandwich is sanger, <laughs> things like that. So Pracky is, oh, is a little um, Australian nickname that pre-service teachers get. Prac students. So Prac students. So it was just one day I was trying to come up with a name. Although and, my name um, is Langford, Scott, Scotty. Yeah. <laughs> I was walking and then... Um, with my mentor teacher and one of the other teachers went, oh, is this you, Pracky? And I yeah, thought, that, yeah. sound, that sounds like a name. Yeah. And then <laughs> nice. the way it's spelled, the, the E is, is basically signifying our presence online and that it's 21st century. So not to our antipodean origins. Yeah, it? yeah. That's what it is. So there you go. Very nice. Thank you. <laughs> but before we go, if someone wanted to connect further with you, where would you, mm. where would you send them? So the best point of call um, is basically if you're intrigued by what Scott and I have talked about uh, and you want to see more, I think the best thing is to come and have a look because we're independent and because we've got young people and pre-service teachers on board as well. We're very different from what you would expect. So when you come to a symposium, we blare rock music and we've got red strobe lights and countdown clocks and we play Bubba O'Reilly by the who before we come on. And nice. We almost got the dry ice up there. And then our videos. I'm, are, I'm half expecting yeah, to do that. And rise from the ground. Yeah. So, and it, it's very casual in nature. And uh, we talk about the, the real world things that people actually worry about. And then our presence on things like Facebook and Instagram and YouTube. Um, Hit us up there. Just talk Absolutely. to that point. So I think the best yeah. point of call is just to come, come have a look. Maybe some come see those full symposiums that are up on our YouTube channel. Yeah. We'll see, see the teacher hack challenge. We went to Kmart, which is like a, your Walmart. It's like a dollar store basically. And we did a challenge where two pre-service teachers have 20 minutes and $15 to go in That's and it. find the best classroom resources and they have to battle each other and they judge each other's. Nice. We have the one week. They have to, <laughs> the funny part is that they each get each other um, a random item. So I got the, a popcorn maker. Yes. And my partner got a jar of plastic dinosaurs <laughs> and we had to come up with how to actually use these within a classroom activity. So that's nice. a lot of fun as well. But all of that, the first point of call is Pracky.com. It's all on there. That's the way. We, every, did, we did one here. Uh, my Pomeranian's guest style, actually. 
nice. I, I had to improvise a lesson. So there was three tables. So it's like the age group, the time of day, and the problem. And you had five seconds to think of a lesson plan. That was awesome. good. So, I, so Scott went yeah. five, three, one. And we go, yeah. all right, you got grade eight boys on a Friday afternoon and the internet's down. What do you do? Nice. <laughs> so those, that back. video is up there as well. So yeah. pracky.com is the best point of call. All of our different social medias are native there. So that's P-R-A-C-E.com. And then from there, you, all the links are on the homepage to where you like to consume content. If you like podcasts, you're on Apple, you're on Spotify. If you like videos, you're on YouTube. But the, I think the key message here is that we're a living example of online professional communication networks. I yes. think that's the point of call. I think the time has gone where the only way to find a mentor is to personally do it and knock yeah. on doors okay. and try and find one-on-one in-person mentors. I think that's quite different. And I don't think that's how people communicate these days. Of course, it's still there. But I think the point of message here is that it doesn't have to be pracky. Uh, we'll be there if you need it. But if you're interested in what we do and you want some support, you might be feeling a little bit disengaged or a little bit alone, or you're thinking you're going to become a statistic of the teacher drought, I would implore you to Google search or find some Facebook groups or something like Cracky. We're there if you need it, but something that's within your context as well. I know on Twitter, there's always doing teacher meetups in your area where you can find like-minded people. There's thousands of Facebook groups that can be down to your city mm. and you can find like-minded people in a lot easier way and the the way that people communicate so different i think in person it'd be a bit weird if you rocked up to a room full of people and you just shouted a question into them. <laughs> but, <laughs> but i think it's that either. old man yells at class yeah but that's the way people do it and and, and you're not going to appear silly you're not going to be um made fun of for doing that if you join a group and ask a question that's keeping you up at night, that's it people would genuinely answer and it's amazing to see so and given the time difference we'll probably answer it in the daytime anyway yeah yeah <laughs> yeah for sure so it's like, it can be pracky and if it is pracky go to our website but if not try and find something similar within your area to help you and make sure you connect and you don't be those islands absolutely that's awesome awesome the, uh, and I will make sure, by the way, that uh, pracky.com, for those of you listening while you're exercising, driving, or doing whatever, it's in my show notes. So we'll, uh, we'll have those links as well as links to the social media accounts and all that sort of good stuff. So you can, you can um, reach out to uh, Liam and uh, Scott and, and uh, the Pracky world. So awesome. You know, I got two last questions, and uh, the, uh, they're questions I just like to ask my guests. Number one, the first one goes like this. If you had a chance to talk with an audience of 100 brand new teachers, What's something that you would want to know, want them to know or think about? I would want them to know that they're in one of the best professions in the world. Mm. I think that people, it's it's such a shame when people choose teaching as maybe something else or their last resort or they don't know what to do. And I guess I'll be a teacher because I like maths at school. But it's amazing to see where people, when people get that bug, the teaching bug, I like to call it, when you first give that student that aha moment and you can see that what you've done and what that knowledge you've imparted is something they didn't know before, it's addictive. And I think that people are a bit nervous about teaching because they've obviously seen teachers and maybe they've had some bad teachers in the past. But one thing that I'd like to say is that it's a great profession. Um, It's a fantastic profession and that you'll have some of the best moments of your life in the classroom when you, when you're able to make a difference to a young person. It's extremely rewarding. There are ups and downs, but that is as it is in in any profession, but to make sure to, 
I'd get those hundred teachers to look left and right and look at their colleagues and their peers in the room and make sure that they support each other through this journey and make themselves the best educators that they possibly can be. Yeah, this is a calling. I mean, that's the entire point. It's not so much a job or is it, is it a vacation room. And it's, um, it's something that you should enjoy, you know? People don't talk about the enjoyment factor of teaching much. They talk about the stress. They talk about the lack of pay. They talk about the admin pressures. They don't talk about the, the joy of it. And if you aren't enjoying it, then question why you're there. That would be my first thing I would say to them. That's awesome advice. I, you know, it's, and it's so, it's so spot on because when you, you know, the cool thing about teaching is that it is, there's, it's, there's nothing like it. I mean, maybe, you know, maybe that cool doctor who uh, does something <laughs> that really awesome, but I mean, it's just, you know, it's, uh, um, it's one of those things where, and, and a lot of times the payback comes, you know, when in this modern world, somebody reached out to you on Facebook and says, I don't know if you are actually the Mileto that I'm looking for or the, you know, mm. whoever, mm. you know, insert, insert your name there. And, uh, but you know, and you go, Oh my yeah. gosh, this is somebody who, and that's a cool thing. You know, you're like, yeah, it is. and they, it is. for some reason they remembered you and, uh, there's mm. nothing better than that. And it's, you know, mm. especially when they remembered you for the right reasons. <laughs> that's right. Well, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. <laughs> yeah. The uh, good stuff. The, uh, <laughs> so, sorry, that was great timing for that bark there. The, uh, um, <laughs> so the last question goes like this. Do you have a teacher in your past who made a difference in your life? If so, who was it? And what would you say of given the chance to say thank you? Yeah, sure. Well, um, I think if I had to rattle off a few names, I think Miss Curley, my grade one teacher, was fantastic. Mm -hmm. Mr. Bo, my grade two teacher, um, was amazing as well. Scott was a great teacher that I had. Mr. He has to say that because he's sitting next to yeah. me. <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering there, no pressure. Huh? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's um, right. Yeah. I was only staring daggers at him. That's fine. Mr. Coleman, um, Mr. Hogan, uh, Mr. Mott. Uh, my dad was my teacher as well. He was a fantastic teacher that I had. But uh, cool. in grade 11 and 12, um, I had a teacher named Charlie. And then he made me want to become a teacher because I was quite disenfranchised at that time. And he showed, he was very, had a lot of, uh, he developed a lot of things in me, one of which was the entrepreneurial spirit that I had. Whereas I was saying, oh, I'm sick of school. I just want to go do, go do this. I want to go do this instead. And he said, well, you can be at school. Well, why don't you just go do that? <laughs> and I created a music blog with him and we were interviewing some of Australia's biggest bands. That was amazing. And, and it kind of, Cracky wouldn't exist without him because um, wow. I, I know what to do from doing stuff with him and as I was at school. And then he had these amazing lessons that I still remember to this day where you walk in and you never know what you're going to expect and that you even... <laughs> an hour into the lesson, you still have no idea what you're doing. And then last, he had this incredible power within the last few minutes, he would explain it all. And then suddenly it all made sense. And you had this light bulb moment and suddenly the whole book you were reading made sense. Hmm. And just from one activity, and he had these, these amazing activities, which I've tried to replicate every now and then to varying success, but shout out to Charlie from music industry college. Hmm. And uh, he's now at uh, Bundamba teaching um, in Ipswich um, near Brisbane. So he's one of the best teachers that I've had and, and probably wanted, made me want to become a teacher. So it's fantastic. I had two teachers that stood out for me. Uh, Mr. Price, my housemaster at school, who was eternally patient with me because I was quite a combustible young man. It wasn't a bad thing to, to have somebody that calm in charge, really, and keep me on the straight and narrow. 
And Mr. Dunn, my maths teacher, not my English teacher, my maths teacher, he had me for seven years. And how he coped with that, that's some hard duty. He did really well. You know, <laughs> he never, ever lost his temper in seven years. I thought it was amazing. Nice. Oh, I also have to shout out Mr. Tim Sheshan as well. Oh, yeah, he was lovely. Canadian. Um, Canadian guy from Calgary. Yes. Um, he, I hate science. I was never, it's one of those subjects with maths. If the teacher was sitting next to me, I could probably do it. And I'd be that kid that goes, oh, I can do it when you're here, sir. Oh, <laughs> you know that? But, um, but, uh, but, um, I bet you invented flubber in your science. <laughs> with, uh, I never understood chemistry from the very get go. It's just that one subject where no matter how much I tried, I never understood. Maths, I could maybe get it every now and then. Chemistry, yeah. no hope. Whereas Mr. Tim Sheshan was a, my science teacher and, and his enthusiasm um, and the way he explained things and his relationship with the kids uh, was fantastic. And it made me actually enjoy a subject that I hated with a passion, which is incredible power. What about you? What are your best teachers from when uh, you were growing up? Well, my first, the, the one that always comes to mind first, and thank you for asking, by the way, I, I was just getting ready to say thank you guys for sharing it. And uh, if you're going to ask me, I got uh, my favorite all-time favorite one, um, I always referred to her as Yoda because she kind of <laughs> <laughs> she kind of looked like Yoda. She's about his height and had to, had to walk with a walker and a, and a cane. And, but she was the most brilliant, difficult <laughs> adult. <laughs> but she, un, she knew you. She knew who you were and she knew how to push you just right because you know, she knew that kids were different and she could figure you out. And, and uh, her name was actually Emma Jo Johnson. And and I thought she was old then, but I know she worked for a bunch of more years afterwards. So I'm not quite wow. sure how old she was. But the uh, but you know the only thing she was missing was the her ears were a little pointy, but uh, she was missing was the, the greenness. But uh, <laughs> but it's uh, <laughs> she was amazing. And uh, um, and you know just as a, a story to go with that, you know I was I don't know how bad I looked, but I was I I would not miss her class. I now I didn't miss a lot of school anyway, but I, I had her for senior English and. And I don't know how bad I looked, but she came over to me. And that was a lot of effort for her to, to move across the room. <laughs> and she said, are, are you okay? And I said, uh, oh, I'm fine. And she said, well, okay. And we had a test that day in her class. And you didn't miss her test because they were not just tests. They were lots of things that she brought together that you had to focus on. And, uh, um, and I'm like, she looked over at me again. She came over. She goes, I don't think you're okay. And she said, let's go to the office. So we went down to the office and got in touch with my dad. I ended up having like 103 degree temperature and was out for a week. Wow. <laughs> you know, it's like, and she noticed all that. And yeah. I still had to do her makeup test though, which was not a fun. <laughs> <laughs> so you didn't get away with the test, did you? No, she was, all, she was the, the one I always remember, is, which is Yoda. So, uh, but, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, what's funny is that uh, the teacher who I can never, never remember the name of was the teacher who got me in to see Yoda. I was in the basic level, not basic. I was in the, they had three levels in my school. They had basic, they had um, average and they had advanced when in those days. And uh, I was in the, the average track and uh, she was in the honors track and my 11th grade English teacher, I, I wanted to go military, which I eventually did. You're talking about that lockstep stuff. I can do that fast. If you wanted to put us out there, I'd be the one. Boom. I'd be like that. Okay, next challenge. Let's go. But the, uh, um, you know, and I, I always, she was irritated by anything that had to do with military. So I'd write about it. <laughs> every time we got. Uh, of course. Yeah. <laughs> every time we got a chance to do free writing, I'd write about it. I'll never yeah. forget her. On one of my papers I've saved through all eternity, it's, it says on there, Steve, th this is good and insightful, but why do you always write about military? And 
what I wanted to write on there is because it makes you angry. <laughs> you know, it's, yeah. it's not getting your attention. Yes. Oh, but yeah. uh, yeah. she's the reason I, somebody asked me one day, well, how did you get into the honors track if you were in the average track? And I, it never dawned on me that she's the reason why I got to meet Yoda. And it yeah. was pretty it. cool. So I, she's one of my stars right there. So uh, that's fantastic. But you know, guys, this has been awesome. I can't thank you enough for spending all this time. This has been enjoyable and uh, talked about some serious stuff and trying to help teachers, uh, you know, get that support and so forth. You you all need to to visit Pracky, go in and take a look at their their presence on uh, social media, on YouTube and such, and uh, you'll find that support that you need. And thank you so much. I mean, and and I got to tell you, you you definitely made it a, uh, this has been fun, even though you guys are on the same um, very large island right now, we're (laughs) representing, you know, a good chunk of the world right here, which is pretty cool because of the different islands that we're from. So <laughs> there are places. Well, we're, busy, we're busy dodging all the bushfires at the moment. That doesn't help either. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But we're a bit of the United Nations here, but yeah, yeah it's been fantastic. Yes. Thank you. We always love um, working with America. It's, yeah, we love it. It's, it's love fantastic. It. This has been enjoyable. So thank you. And I got to say this real quick. I am never going to forget this whole thing about, uh, first of all, we got a couple of things, but uh, Teach an Italian because why not? It's like French. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's amazing. It's like, seriously, what kind of job interview is this? Seinfeld. <laughs> exactly. And then, and just as a side note, because um, I love the Flubber movies. All right, going back to the old ones, and then the Robin Williams yes. one, and uh, and. So I'm going to be laughing about this and people are going to be like, have you lost your mind again? Like, if you don't understand, you're going to have to listen to this. Nice, nice. Guys, thank you so much. So, if you send through um, a download or embed link, um, I will make, we have a podcast section on cracky.com where we highlight all the podcasts that we've been a part of. Kim's is up there. So Sam's, if you send through an embed or download link, I can feature this podcast with all links to your gear as well on mm, there on, on, on the homepage. So yeah, right. so make sure you send that through as well. And I'll, I'll put it on our platforms and promote it as much from our end as well. I appreciate it. I will do that. I, that's awesome. And uh, I wish you all the best. Thank, thank you again for spending so much time. This was an awesome discussion. I don't know that's how to, right. say, to say that. Cause you know, right now, by the way, I, I have set a record for my own personal record at uh, yeah, I think it's our record too. It's our record. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. Yeah. I hope it's not too late in the, in the night for you now. Um, no, we're good. <laughs> but okay. I was trying to be funny, but the, that wasn't going to happen. So uh, but, uh, <laughs> this has been awesome. Thank you so much. Okay. Yeah. Thank our you. pleasure. Love you to chat. Anytime. Take okay. Care. See you. Cheers. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is excited to be a member of Voice Ed Radio. Voice Ed Radio. Your voice is right here. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is a proud member of the Education Podcast Network. Podcasts for educators, podcasts by educators. The opinions expressed on Teaching Learning Leading K-12 are those of the guests and hosts. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is intended to share ideas, advice, and suggestions for classroom teachers and school administrators. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is produced for educational purposes. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll share it with your friends.